Retina Radio is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. This is Mike Lee here at the bowling tournament during the final night of the Retina Fellows Forum here in Chicago. New Retina Radio is brought to you by Alcon. Stop by our booth at an upcoming meeting to see how Alcon is taking surgical retina into the future. You're listening to New Retina Radio from New Retina MD and Bryn Mawr Communications. Let's do this. I'm Scott. I'm Rana. This is New Retina Radio. We're keeping things short with this episode. Yeah, it's after all, it's not easy to pin down everyone at the start of summer. But we think you like what we have to offer. It's our first singles interview. Now, not a dating interview. We already did that spinoff, but this is an interview of a single doctor. Something short and sweet. This actually goes back to New Retina Radio's very first interview, and we've been wondering what to do with it ever since. Yeah, the recording is so old that the mics and equipment are different. If this episode sounds unusual, do not adjust <laughs> your radio dial. Right, so it's the same show quality, but maybe some different sound quality. Or maybe not. We won't know until we release it. Yep. Anyway, this episode will likely scratch an itch that all retina surgeons have, that of scientific curiosity. Mm. Let's start with the guest. My name is James Major. I'm with Retina Consultants of Houston in Houston, Texas. I also work at the Blanton Eye Institute, which is Houston Methodist Hospital. James has a unique passion. My father, um, who is also an ophthalmologist, is an avid birder. So when I was little, ever since I can remember, he would take me out birding on these you know, trips out in the field, really, from the Everglades to Texas to Alaska. We went everywhere. And so I sort of developed an early love for nature and birding and hiking uh, in that regard. So my interest has always been in sort of field biology uh, in general, even pre-ophthalmology, pre-retina. Cool. There's something calming about bird watching, right? Birding. Huh? Uh, I called it bird watching also, but it turns out that it's called birding. Oh, okay. Yes, bird watching is sort of the older term. Birding refers to a young, vibrant person going out looking at birds. People like James. People think of bird watching as watching birds. You're really identifying species. So you're saying, you know, I've seen 550 birds from this geographic area, and you're really trying to list and see as many bird species as possible. Ah, so it's more than just posting up in a tree with a pair of binoculars, huh? James pursued this as a scientific interest in his undergrad career as a biology major. He went to school in the South. Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. And loved it. It was birding paradise. Particularly my favorite class was, of course, field biology. I love the classes where we basically go out, catch snakes, amphibians, birds, everything. He continued his academic career in the field. I took that Emory University degree to the next logical um, step, and I went to the University of Texas in Austin, where I was a graduate student in, at the time, zoology. He stays on, gets a PhD, is an assistant professor for a while. Two years. Eventually, medical school beckons him. But the call of medicine sort of like the call of the wild. Um, I knew inside after about four or five years of being in graduate school that I wanted to go to medical school. Did he know he wanted to be an ophthalmologist? He did. His dad was an ophthalmologist, so it was in his blood. In his vitreous. Right, right. It was in his vitreous. <laughs> uh, anyway, he knows he wants to be an ophthalmologist. He's not sure if he wants to be a retina specialist. When I arrived at Bascom Palmer as a first year resident, I said, oculoplastics is for me. I want to do oculoplastics. His mentors at Bascom Palmer Eye Institute are all retina people. Carmen Pugliafito, 
Dr. Flynn, Dr. Bill Smitty. It was an exciting time in retina. Dr. Rosenfeld was just ushering in the Avastin age and the anti-VEGF era was starting and I said, this is the stuff I really like. And a friend stepped in. John Kitchens uh, said to me, look, do you love the lids? And I said, well, I like the lids. And he said, no, do you love the lids? If you love the lids, you go into oculoplastics. It was a one or the other question in the mind of John Kitchens. In his words, you like operating outside the eye, do oculoplastics. Or if you like operating inside the eye, do retina. Okay, this is all interesting. A doctor with a passion for birding and PhD in zoology and a love for lids surpassed by a love for the posterior segment. But what's all this have to do with retina? Well, it turns out that James's birding skills translated to retina surgery. Birding has a term that you can adopt in, into retinal ophthalmology, and it's called GISS, G-I-S-S. -S. It's an acronym. General Impression of Shape and Size. James described it this way. Once you get good enough at birding, you can see a bird fly past you. You don't really know exactly what color it is or exactly um, and the lighting might be poor, but you know, hey, that's a species A. That's a morning dove because you're learning the way it flies, the way it moves, and the size of it and the shape of it and how it flies. Uh, or how it sits on a branch. Turns out, at least according to James, such a skill is useful in the posterior segment. The same exact thing occurs in retina. The more you've seen something, um, you know, the first time you see a retinal detachment, you see how that retina is wavy and has a hole in it, you know, you quickly learn what it's like and, and learn the nuances. Or something like early proliferative vitreoretinopathy, or PVR, you begin to recognize that early. General impression of size and shape. It's really pattern recognition seeing something one or two times and then being able to repeat that and seeing, seeing it again and knowing exactly what it is. Fair enough. Seems like an odd connection between birding and retina, but I get it. Oh, it gets better too. Birds start getting involved. The first hawk that we looked at was blind in one eye. The eye looks totally normal. Back after this. New Retina Radio is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. This is Mike Lee at Horton Plaza Park in San Diego, here for the Retina Society 2016 meeting. New Retina Radio is brought to you by Alcon Surgical. Stop by our booth at an upcoming meeting to see how Alcon is advancing vitreoretinal surgery. Hi listeners, it's Scott here at the Replica Rainforest at the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco where this whole bird story started. New Retina Radio was brought to you by the New Retina MD app, available for smartphone and tablet. Search New Retina MD in the App Store, download the app, select the issue you want to read, and then you'll have NRMD on the go. Inside each issue, you'll find exclusive content including videos, news items, and social media opportunities. All right. Back to the birds. Welcome back. I'm Scott. I'm Rana. Back to our interview with James Major, birder and retina doctor. Even as a child, he had an interest in birds of prey, also called raptors. I've always known that raptors have fantastic retinae. They have two foveae. They have a muscle that actually moves into their cornea and changes the shape of their cornea. In other words, the, the equivalent would be like having instant LASIK as you walk around. They have superior visual acuity? Their vision is probably 520, meaning what we can see at five feet, small print, really small print at five feet, they can probably see at 
20 or 25 feet, if not better. Superior cone density? They have five times the number of cones, especially in their fovea. Which means a superior color palette. When you look at a, um, a tree, you see light green, medium green, dark green. They see light green, medium light green, darker light green, light medium green, etc. In other words... It's a super eye. Remember that James grew up near the Everglades, giving him access to all sorts of birds. Growing up in Miami, my scuba diving instructor from when I was a child, his wife was in charge of the Bird of Prey Center at the Miami Science Museum. Pretty nice connection for a birder. An even nicer connection for a birder ophthalmologist such as James. I let my worlds collide by uh, using the spectral domain OCT, which was an experimental machine at the time, wasn't commercially available, but they were working on that at Bascom Palmer, and I brought these birds of prey through my connections. James's connection was just giving Bascom Palmer birds to scan? Uh, not quite. These birds had some sort of vision issue. The first hawk that we looked at was blind in one eye. The eye looked totally normal. How do you know if a bird is blind? Does he move his head strangely? You know, I, I had the same question, and James had a pretty interesting answer. Well, you could take your hand, and as you moved your hand around where their right eye was, they saw nothing, and then right as you moved to the left, they would jump. And so they knew he was blind in one eye, even though it looked normal. So something was up. We imaged that eye, and we could see the retinal detachment that he had back there. Wait, wait, wait slow down. They imaged the eye of a hawk? Mm-hmm. James described the challenges. The hardest part of the study was not the actual imaging, it was concerned that their muscle of their iris is skeletal muscle, unlike our muscle, which is smooth. So dilating drops don't work on them. They even called in a vet to see if they could use inhalational gases to dilate the bird. No dice. So they resorted to an old-fashioned method for dilation. We turned off the lights, and bam, their eyes dilated. Just with the lights off, we could hold their bill gently at the OCT machine and scan their retina. What did they find exactly in the blind hawk? They had a retinal attachment with subretinal fluid, and a strange posterior hyaloid face. We had images of the fovier, which is incredible. They have a different fovea than we do, densely, densely packed. We were even able to look at the choroid a little bit. And what did they do for this bird? Nothing to be done, sadly. It looked like a chronic retinal detachment anyway that probably wouldn't have done well even in a good surgeon's hands. They were tame birds, I guess, since they were in captivity. Too tame sometimes. The owl, if you scratch the back of its neck, would sit there and would sort of be very, very relaxed. The only problem if you scratch the back of their neck too much, he would fall asleep. <laughs> he would start to close his eyes, which is not good for getting the OCT scan. All in all, it was a success. But anyway, we got the first images on raptor retina through an OCT available. This has since been published um, in a book called Evolution's Witness and in, in another journal, IOVS, uh, on these wonderful, wonderful images. All interesting, but are there any human implications? I mean, it's not like James is an avian ophthalmologist or could even do anything for the birds after they were imaged. Yeah, I know what you mean. But James pointed out something that surprised me. That scanning raptor eyes at Baskin Palmer, which, for a young trainee, married his passions of retina and ornithology, helped build a foundation for animal model research. Hmm. It ushered in um, using the OCT to, to image small animals' uh, retina. So that was the first time that a small animal, in other words, used for experiments. So in the age now of gene therapy, where you need to get an OCT of a mouse or a rat, some of those early findings um, and the way it was done have helped to image small animals, which hopefully in the future will bring gene therapy and other benefits to humans in these clinical trials, which are really coming down the pike. James is humble about it. I'm sure someone else would have come along with it had, you know, and I didn't, and I don't know how much I contributed, but it was nice to be one of the first people to do it 
and at least help usher in that age. Yeah, and he and his Bascom colleagues were still part of that conversation. Agreed. What did he learn beyond the immediate here? What do you mean? Like, did he learn something other than the fact that a few birds had some, unfortunately, inoperable eye conditions? Oh, yes, he did. Let's let him tell it. What it shows me is whatever you do in life, if you have a passion for what you do, be it a hobby or a career, um, you're always going to be happy and good things are always going to come of it. If you work hard and follow your passion, even, you know, a lot of people work at a certain job but they have a passion in another field, um, it makes you happy and, and good things come of it down the road, whatever it may be, and you're contributing to that field in a positive manner. Well, that's it for this episode. Hope you liked our first singles installment. Special thanks to James Major for sitting down with us. And for being so patient while we produced an episode for an interview we did over a year ago. I'm Scott. I'm Rana. See you next time. Bye-bye. Press 2 to play new messages. Hi, this is James Major, and I just got back from a week-long trip to the Galapagos Islands where I cruised around, of course, looking at birds. Um... This is New Retina Radio. It's a production of Brynmar Communications and New Retina MD. The show is produced by Scott Criswanos with help from Rana Jaraha and Rachel Kagan. The show was recorded by Andy Leos and was mixed and edited by Greg Notesheim. Our staff includes David Levine, Megan Beiser, Elisa D'Amato, Laura Geis, Julia Kassab, uh, Kira Mazarek, Meredith Polak, and MJ Stewart. Our publisher is Janet Burke. For advertising questions, contact us at newretinaradio at bmctoday.com. It was a pleasure to do this. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate the opportunity. End of messages. Hey there, listeners. This is Scott outside of the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, PA. New Retina Radio is brought to you by the New Retina MD app, available for smartphone and tablet. Search New Retina MD in the App Store, download the app, select the issue you want to read, and voila, you've got Retina on the go. Inside, you'll find exclusive content, including video meeting coverage from iTube.net, news updates, and social media opportunities.